Hey, y'all, before we get into this week's podcast, we have some late breaking news. We needed to drop this in before we get into our podcast for this week. Lisa, tell them what's up. What's going on? Okay, so for those of you who got the newsletter this week, um, or last week, I guess, you will have seen this, but I was browsing LinkedIn and uh, came across the USA Triathlon's Coach of the Year honorees announcement. And so I glanced at who the winners were and Mm -hmm. um, was a little uh, frustrated to learn that all six of them are white people, four of them to men and two of them to women. So not even half and half in terms of gender. I uh, checked out the press release and I checked out the websites and the links of the folks who were the honorees just to make sure. And they are all white appearing. Um, And I have to say, I was pretty darn disappointed and obviously promptly texted Shauna to say WTF. (laughs) As you should have, because when I looked at the list, I was like, what the hell is going on? And I'm very disappointed. And part of the reason why I'm really disappointed is because less than a month ago, my own tri-team, which I will toot their horn on this, Core Sports, specifically launched their power-up training program to get more folks, especially more women of color, involved in triathlons. So not only do they have the grant awardees, but they also have the power-up program coaches. Joy Miles, Colonel Yvonne Spencer, Stacey Windrow, Megan White, Angie Brown, Doc Golden, Every single one of them are women and every single one of them are women of color. And that is only scratching the surface of the number of people of color and women of color specifically that are great coaches and great leaders in the sport of triathlon. So once again, I feel like we are in this network that, that, USAT does not want to get out of. I've partnered with USAT. I've worked with them in the past before. So that's why I feel comfortable mentioning this. There's some work to do. We have to get very intentional about making sure names like Joy, Yvonne, Stacey, Megan, Angie, Doc, that all of them are at least in the pool of nominees so that they can become selected. So this was late breaking news. We could not move forward without mentioning it. And Lisa, I really feel like there's work to do. So, hey, USAT, if you're listening to this podcast, reach out to us or we'll reach out to you. But we know that we can do better. So, Lisa, I'm looking forward to marking this down because next year this time, when I look at the slate, I hope to see great women and lots of melanin and ethnicity and LGBT and non-binary folks on the list. What say you? Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's particularly saddening to me, given the work that they have been doing around DEI and the work that they have been doing to try and establish women's teams at at the college level so that it can be an NCAA sport, the work they've been Mm -hmm. doing with HBUs. Um, We know, as you just articulated, there are tons of women coaches, tons of women of color who are coaching, and it doesn't take much to find them, right? It really doesn't. Right. Um, That's so right. I think um, this should be a little bit of a wake up call, right? How are you, Absolutely. how are you holding your, your, your teams and your staff and your awards committees and various bits and pieces accountable for this? Absolutely. So look, 
USAT, have your people call our people. Our people will call your people. But we can't let this happen another year. We can't do it. And we can't continue to speak about this movement of being great allies if we can't demonstrate it. And so here we're demonstrating it as co-hosts, but more importantly, as allies of all the communities that were excluded from this slate. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Do you remember that article, Shauna, I sent you related to confidence in the Atlantic? Um, I've been thinking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's hard to keep up with how many articles fly in the uh, interwebs between you and I in a week. But that is one of the few that I actually read as soon as you sent it over to me. It was very interesting, mm-hmm. this this whole confidence piece and, and what exactly should we do with it? You know, that's what's interesting to me. It's like, well, we have it, hopefully. But right. what right. are we trying to say here? Yeah, I just thought it was such a profound in some ways because it's like I understand these issues and then someone like expressly articulates it in a way that I haven't been able to I'm like that's it ding 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 so I think it really really applies to women in sport and so how do you feel about talking more about it let's dive in so Lisa look the Atlantic always has something good that I want to read but this one really uh, hit home in a great way. So t- tell me about how you felt about it when you first read it, because clearly it was profound enough for you to send it over to me. So it must have struck a chord. Yeah, I think I had to stop myself from almost entirely just copying and pasting the entire article in quotes and putting it in a text message because there were so many that resume- resonated with me. So this very, one of the early quotes says, Whatever the problems faced by women and girls, the implied diagnosis offered is typically the same. She just needs to believe in herself. And um, when I think back about my life and the kind of ways in which I've internalized girlhood and womanhood and what I can and can't do, I mean, I've heard that message a lot. I mean, even things like I have a poster on my wall that says, um, she believed she could, so she did, or something like that, and other kind of inspirational mm-hmm. to me, inspirational to me, quotes from yes. women who are talking about women and girls and confidence and they can do anything and how the world would be a better place if women are in charge and all of this stuff. And so it just made me think about, whoo, that's actually quite powerful that we as women have perhaps bought into this cult of confidence and in so doing have diverted attention away from the reasons why, the fundamental structural reasons why women struggle in society so much. Oh, girl. And look, let me just tell you, I I completely agree. And, and the reason why I resonated so much with that particular article, um, <laughs> a couple things, you know, I have the the same quote that you mentioned. She believed she could, so she did. And then I also have the other variations of it. She believed she could, but she was tired, so she took a nap. Or <laughs> she believed she could, but she'd done enough, so she sat down. You know, those types of things, too, where yep. they're, they're countercultural, extremely countercultural, I would believe, for, for women. And I would think in many ways, 
in specific ways for black women and women of color. Um, but yeah, it just struck a chord for me because I'm thinking to myself, you know, okay, is confidence supposed to conquer all? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've been in situations where I felt I had a hundred percent confidence in myself as a human being and it still didn't work out. Right. And right. it, I, I didn't overcome that issue or I didn't overcome that thing. And it wasn't a blame game type of situation. It just was not the salve to heal whatever was going on. And so to me, I feel like it's, um, what do they call it? The, the snake oil salesman or salesperson mm-hmm. where they're, yeah, they're yeah. selling you, they're selling you something that doesn't work and doesn't fix anything. Um, I, I think it's important, but I don't think it fixes larger things, right? Right. Yeah. Does that make any sense? That makes total sense. Because I'm even thinking about, you know, organizations like Girls on the Run and other um, similarly aimed empowerment organizations, Women for Try, and, you know, that are designed to build the confidence of women and girls, or at least let women and girls know that they are wanted and valued in a particular space that maybe has been historically male and so it kind of throws into disarray all of those things and I'm just going to read another quote because it's so good just it made me chuckle so Mm. inequality in the workplace female employees need to lean in eating disorders and poor body image girls empowerment programs are the solution parenting problems let's make mums feel more self-assured so they can raise confident kids sex life in a rut well, loving yourself is the new sexy. So basically they're saying like each of these message just takes the inequality that's threaded into our culture and frames it as an individual problem, right? Like mm. the reason why the parenting isn't going well is something that's deficient in you. And this is a total aside and a little bit out there because it's not exactly what I yeah. related to this, but I was listening to um, the radio and um, the Sackler family had to listen to families of victims of the opioid crisis. And one Mm -hmm. parent or mother, I think, um, you know, had a picture of her child and said something to the effect of, you know, you're a shitty human being, greedy, blah, blah, blah. And why didn't your mother raise you with compassion or something like that, right? Like your mother oh clearly did with compassion. And I, I, totally, I totally get what she means, right? And it's not a critique of her. And I'm very glad that they got the opportunity to do this and those folks had to sit there and listen to it. Um, but yes. it just immediately was like, well, what about the dad, <laughs> right? Right, like, right, um, right. Or any mm-hmm. other parenting figure in that person's life. Like why do they have like zero responsibility? So when I think about the parenting piece here, um, you know, it's never around let's make dads feel more self-confident as a parent, right? It's always around let's make mothers feel more confident so they can do a better job raising their children. Like the dad mm. or, um, you know, other family member or other family members that are involved are like absent. It's just all on the mom's shoulder. So that was a little digression, but it just made me think of it because we focus this empowerment shit on girls and women all the time. And I think yeah. all the time. Yeah. All the time. Bubbling. Well, and and that's where, okay, so let's let's reframe, as I always say when I'm I'm coaching people. Let's reframe. So if you're only empowering one specific group, 
that comes with the assumption that they are disempowered. Right. Right. There's no need in empowering if they aren't disempowered in some way. So then to me, what does that mean for the inequality and disenfranchisement and oppression that perfectly confident women and other individuals still experience every day. It just feels like we're telling people to just power through it and you'll be okay. And, and, and I think it's, it is so complex because I know, especially in the black community uh, around the time of Kwanzaa, for example, but I know there are other um, cultural and, and other world traditions that believe in self-determination. And it's that, I get to determine what I experience in this world. I get to determine my life and how I want to live it. I get to do X, Y, Z. And that is very true, but that still doesn't take away racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia. That is still there. And so what happens when someone has literally, I'm, I'm joking when I say this, willed and gritted themselves to death. You know, we talked about grit before on this podcast. They've willed themselves to do exactly what they would like. They've exhibited this quote unquote grit that Angela Duckworth talks about in her book. And yet it, it's almost like a, a distraction where, oh, go look at the self-confidence you should have, but you've turned your head away from the systems that have exacerbated the already existing problems. Right. So it's like a distraction, right? It's, 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 I've been calling it uh, confidence porn, if you will, because it's like, it's the, the confidence porn piece of it is that it's a distraction that makes you think that, oh, well, you know, as long as I, you know, pump myself up and feel good about myself, Uh uh you know, for this short period of time, then everything else will be all right. And it's not, it's not, it's, it's just like we've talked about, um, what have we talked about? Um, ability porn. What's the other one? I'm, I know I'm choosing the wrong term. Well, inspiration porn we've talked about. In, yes. Inspiration the porn. Ability. There you go. And, uh, and I think, but that's the thing. I think confidence porn could possibly be like the, the cousin to inspiration porn mm-hmm. because it's it too much of it in the wrong direction can be a distraction from systems that also need to be torn down at the same time. Right. You know, I think about um, salary, right? So we know that women and um, folks who don't identify as male, let's say, who earn less, right? Wage discrimination. Um, And it doesn't matter in some cases how hard we work or how late we stay or how outstanding the products that we produce, the wage discrimination is still there, right? Because it's a systemic problem that undervalues women's contribution in the workplace or assumes that they're not as smart or competent. And so, sure, I could have a boatload of confidence, but if I have too much confidence, then I'll probably risk being called a bitch or aggressive or difficult, right? And so where's this happy medium? Where's the equilibrium? But, um, you know, confidence in men is not interpreted the same way. And if they work harder, then no. they probably would get a pay rise. And that isn't right. the experience of women. So to your point, right? Like right. Grit, right. leaning in, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all very individual focused. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, Mm -hmm. if I want to negotiate my salary, sure, women don't tend to negotiate their salary. And the reason for that is cultural norms around negotiation and around assertiveness and what that means. Right. So it's it's not an individual problem, right? But if we frame it as an individual problem, then we lose sight of the fact that this is a cultural problem. Right, right, right. Well, and look, this reminds me of... (laughs) A situation I just went through this week, Lisa, the the short version of it is, you know, working with an agency that wanted to obviously negotiate the fee for a keynote. And I made it clear this is what it is. And, you know, we'd already signed contracts and so forth, but they were trying to add additional things onto that, that were going to be really time. I mean, a huge time suck. And so you know, I had the confidence enough to go back to the contract. That is the reason why you have contracts in place to keep everybody, you know, honest on what they've prepared to do. And here's the rub. Even with my 100% confidence around what I bring, what the contract said, what we agreed to originally, it still doesn't take away the systemic uh, disenfranchisement of women, women of color specifically, who shouldn't even have to negotiate this because I have yet to meet a white man that's ever had to negotiate a fee for a keynote or for speaking or for consulting. And so even with 100% confidence, sometimes I feel like it still kind of parallels the grit conversation we've had before. We're encouraging women to have confidence about systems that shouldn't even exist right? It it shouldn't even exist, right? Have confidence that you're the most qualified. Well, the issue isn't being the most qualified. The issue is the mindsets and the systems that assumed that she wasn't to begin with. There's nothing wrong with her. It's the system that's the challenge. And so to me, I'm like, this sucks, man, because I love confidence and I love self-determination, but I don't like the systems that require us to have, you know, confidence uh, you know, ad infinitum where you, it, it almost feels like you have to have more confidence than what any natural person should have to have. Like if you and I, yeah. as a, a white woman and a woman of color, yes, we may have the confidence of a man, but the fact that we have to have more confidence than a man or someone else that's in a privileged group, that to me is where the unfairness is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what sucks about this to me it just it it feels off it feels off well and you would have to have even more than i would have to have so we i would already be like on overdrive right and you would have to be on overdrive on overdrive right because it's so much harder right. um double overdrive yeah. Yeah. that sounds like yeah. not, there's yeah. gonna be a lot of caffeine needed for that i think um <laughs> yeah and, right yeah right. and that that is um it's covered up right yeah by this well, how about we both just attend an empowerment workshop so we can figure out how to negotiate contracts and salaries? Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, to me, it's like, you know, the again, it's a great diversion from examining the problematic systems, right? And what was that quote you were you were telling me about Kim Kardashian? Now, yeah. I am the least uh, Kardashian-focused person on the planet, but... Yeah. Didn't she say something about working? What did she say? Boy, Yeah. I also, I join you at the low end of caring about Kim Kardashian. Um, But she said something to the effect of um, women in business, like here's some advice, 
Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like no one wants to work these days. Quote, unquote. And it sounds like the Twitterverse, which I'm also not on, um, lashed out quite significantly in response to that. Uh, So, yeah. So really the reason why, you know, women in business struggle is because they're not confident enough and they're lazy. I I mean, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Oh. Okay. Well, there yeah. you go. You know, and that that's so sickening, right? And I mean, I'm uh, and on the converse of that, Lisa, I heard Warren Buffett, who I'm not a follower of necessarily or a fan, but the his quote resonated with me that sounds like the contradiction to Kim Kardashian. Warren Buffett said, if hard work made someone rich, then construction workers and school teachers would be millionaires. Right. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, let's not again, yes, be self-determined, be confident be a hard worker, but what are we overcoming here? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels, it truly feels like, you know, the equivalent in the endurance sport world is that, you know, the white male gets to, you know, start that marathon on time, on, on pace, you start an hour later, I start two or three hours later, but we're all expected to cross the line at the same time. Right. What the hell, what, on what planet does that happen? None. Mm-hmm. Not never, ever. And and so it yeah. just, it doesn't work even with the most self-determination. And so, you know, I, I think we're on to something when it comes to the confidence porn issue. And so I'm wondering what, you know, I don't want to say what the happy medium is, but where do we settle, right? Where do we settle mm-hmm. with confidence? Because let me be clear, Lisa and Shauna are not telling y'all to run right. down the street right. and tell all women and girls, no, don't have confidence. No, that's, I, we are far from that. Um, but I do think, you know, how do we get to a place where we can both have confidence and examine the challenges? Because Lisa, usually we get painted with the, oh, that's just an excuse because they're not X, Y, Z. Or like, I think uh, we've talked about Sika many times on this um, podcast, but, you know, there's, there's a, not, not as if they haven't been examples before, but Sika is a concrete example of being able to compete on a high level and still knowing that there are systemic issues. I think it's a little different if you're middle of the pack, back of the pack, and you're making these same observations that are still true. Well, oh, well, you just can't compete. You know, that's, that's your excuse for not competing at such and such level. No, it's still very real, no matter where you are in the pack of any race. But, you know, that's my frustration is that the calling out of systems is seen as a cop out for not performing at a certain level, which we know is not true. And women are still performing at those levels and they can call it out at the very same time. Right. It it just Mm -hmm. it's strange and it's not a cop out. Yeah, it's this um, this rabid attachment to individualism that we've talked about before that's so fundamental, at least to the United States kind of psyche. But even even embedded in these programs and activities and races that are marketed as opportunities for women and girls to feel empowered and achieve, um, like in the middle of that, right, is still this kind of assumption that it's an individual problem, like it's an internal issue that needs to be fixed. Like you could just do, you know, we've talked about Mm -hmm. the Iron Man slogan, anything is possible. 
no, anything is not possible because <laughs> there's a whole ton of systemic baggage that a number of people um, carry around. So yeah, you're retired. You're a younger white dude who's able-bodied with lots of money to travel. Sure, anything is possible. Anyone else? <laughs> anything is possible, asterisk, right? Like... <laughs> I, I started laughing. I couldn't get myself together, Lisa, because I'm thinking about us arriving at that Iron Man race and you're like the the vandal that's like marking out the side of the big uh the big I, truck. You know how they have the big truck with all the gear and everything and just marking it out. Oh, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll anything, help you. Yeah, anything is what is the little like triangle thing you put underneath and anything right. is above not. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. It, so if any, so if it's any race where there's been vandalism of one of the Iron Man trucks, just assume it was me and Lisa. Okay. Just assume it. Well, but <laughs> I don't want to get arrested. We did not vandalize any Iron Man anything. <laughs> Look, and, and we're not paying to get in to vandalize anything. Right, because to pay to get into vandalize, anything would have to be possible. So I'd have to be a white dude with lots of money and a lot of free time. Oh, there you go. See, we yeah. are absolved from all. There you go. We're absolved. Yes, absolutely. But but you're but you're right though. It's like it's the it's the little asterisk on endurance sport. You know, it's yeah. the you know, you're yes, you're confident and we have a bunch of warts. We have a bunch oh, of warts gosh. on our sports. That is a delightful image, Shauna. Thank you. It just is. It just is messed up, man. It's just messed up. But now, now to your point though, you know, yeah, I, I think this really feels like, you know, Lisa, when you're watching TV and they have those commercials for like, you know, the cold cream for women and, you know, all this, you yeah, know, yeah. age defying da, 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 da. And, you know, I feel like it's somewhat preying on people and preying on where their Achilles heel is. Right. Because, you know, most of the time what they do is, you know, they market cold cream at the time when most women, you know, 35 and up are watching TV. They're not going to do it while, you know, you don't see cold cream commercials on Saturday morning during cartoons for the kids. No, no, you don't. You see what I mean? Like, you don't see that shit. And so, you know, that's why I'm like, I feel like it's similar to this where, okay, anything is possible for all of you women who are going back to last week, middle-aged and not quite sure if you're still an athlete or not and trying to find your identity because you've been through some shit and you're trying to figure your life out after a pandemic. That's right. Oh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I haven't settled anywhere, but I do think, again, yeah. this is another area we need to consider as we're tapping into markets as we do want to grow our sports, but grow them in a way where, yes, people feel confident and we're tackling systems that are raggedy as hell at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back to the first time I ran two miles and I felt so accomplished and so proud of myself. Um, yes. So it's like, that's helpful, right? And I get it. You do a sprint triathlon, yes. you do a half marathon, you do a bike race and you've never done it before. And that is building. Yes. And we're not saying don't stop doing that. I think what we're suggesting yes. is that um, this cult of confidence where everything becomes about women and girls' confidence and we'll just put a Band-Aid on it. That's the problem. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, <laughs> if you're going to talk about confidence, talk about everybody's confidence, not just women and girls, you know, let's do that. And still at the same time, tackle these issues in a way that's fair um, and a way that, uh, you know, begins to process equity, right? Because we've talked about equity many times here where one of the things I strongly believe in, and, and Lisa, you chime in on this too, equity to me is a process and an outcome. We want all these numbers and we want these increases in in the demographics of people in endurance sport. It's part of the process in order to get to that outcome. So right. if your process doesn't include that confidence building of everyone, if it doesn't include the equity or the correction of historical wrongs in the process, then you're still going to end up with some raggedy stuff that's still inequitable at the end of the day. So, you know, I, I just believe it's process and outcome. And if you're just focusing confidence on women and girls, yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? So, yeah, it, right. it's problematic. I agree. I agree. So now that we've gotten all irate and passionate about this issue, we will include the Atlantic article link in our show notes so that you can read it and join us in our um, frustration. Article is good. Issue that discussion discussing creates frustration. Um, so that's right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. I do think they don't mention sport, but I think it's absolutely applicable to sport. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how about some hell nahs and some hell yeahs? Hell yeah. Hell no. Well, I would love to chime in on a hell yeah that's actually connected to this topic, actually. Um, I have a great friend. Her name is Christine Sachs. And we went through our coach diversity training together, but she is like a master certified coach. So she's gone up to all the levels with coaching. And I just want to shout her out and her uh, coaching platform, Christine Sachs Coaching. She has an entire coaching program, a three-day coaching program that specifically tackles imposter syndrome, Lisa. I have never seen anything like this, right? And so it's a a three-day intensive you know, it's, and she even describes it on her website. I think she says something to the effect of three days, 24 hours and nowhere to hide. <laughs> so you, you can't even hide from yourself yeah. in, in this process. And it's a, it's a creative process where she's helping people to meet their goals. And it's out of New York City. Um, if you would like to participate, you have to be vaccinated. That's her policy. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting that this program is called Turning Point Imposter Syndrome because, you know, as, again, Lisa and I are not saying don't have confidence, but if you do have challenges in this particular area or you feel like you're unqualified to enter a certain space, whether it's endurance sport or otherwise, this is, I, I've, I've never seen a program like this, Lisa, and she doesn't mention that it's just for women or any of that. It's open to anyone. And so I just want to throw that out there. Um, it's coming up in June, June 24th to the 26th. Right. And it's, it sounds like it's going to be incredible. So yeah. yeah, imposter syndrome, let's tackle that too. It's, it's very real for many people. And so uh, this podcast is not to uh, dismiss folks who, who struggle and really uh, want to get through and beyond imposter syndrome. So yeah, check out Christine, my girl. Check her All out. right, cool. And I feel like I have a litany of hell nas. And while you were talking, I, I was thinking about which one should I choose? So which asterisk today? I know, right? <laughs> 
I'm going to rain on your royal parade, Shauna, your love of the royals. Um, oh, I, yes. I, I am not a, a royal fan. I am a um, Republican, I guess. Would that be what it was called? Someone who is anti-monarchy? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, William and Kate, so William, Prince William, is, you know, slated to be the king after Charles is king hopefully for not very long after elizabeth dies so they, these dominoes will fall fairly soon i think um yeah and yeah. i guess they were visiting uh, some museum or something related to ukraine and made a comment to the effect of it's very unusual um to see war in europe right um I, I forget exactly how he phrased it but basically the fighting and the wars only happen in non-European countries. So countries that have predominantly brown people. But oh my God. white people are super civilized and don't fight and don't have wars. That was kind of the oh my God. comment Mm-mm. that he made. And then, you know, a number of people have articulated how factually inaccurate his statement was, given the uh, number of wars that have happened in Europe. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a... On the side of William, Prince William, you know, for me, I'm sorry that that might be uh, troubling for you to hear, Shauna. (laughs) Well, look, first of all, Harry is my favorite anyway. That's the first thing. But, but William, get it together, man. Get it together. What in the world? As if Europe has, has, is war free and bloodshed free. Well, think about just like the United Kingdom or England, really. I mean, England as a country separate from the UK has been responsible for so much bloodshed and look and a whole host of stuff it's just mind-blowing that he would say that I'm I'm the worst historian on the planet and even I know that didn't sound right okay period no there is no way in hell no way get it together William and and here's my prediction Uh, again my love of Harry thank you very much William that's jacked up and I'm just waiting for the first, uh, what do they call it? The first faux pas whenever he is king, because if he has those sentiments now and he's relatively young in the royal family, what in the world is he going to say later on? I'm just like, get out of here. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Incredible though, is it really? I mean, he's surprised. I feel like I'm not surprised. (laughs) Well, I mean, they lived in a bubble their whole lives. I mean, they, they learned what they were taught and spoon fed. So here we are. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, William, get it together. Get it yeah, together, the, man. The bubble king. There we go. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Well, I need to be nosy and see how my girl, the queen is doing, because I thought she was COVID positive, right? I think she's better. I think she might be uh, coming out and uh, getting okay. a positive variant soon. That's what I heard. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So- sounds good. Because let me tell you, I, <laughs> I know you're not pro monarchy, but, um, what is it? You um, pick pick the the lesser of several evils, and I'm like, mm, the world is not ready for Prince Charles. Just not. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. It will never be. Like, yeah, shut it down right now. I mean, that would be great, but you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, anywho, um, yeah, that 
that is incredible, but yet not surprising. We'll just leave it there. So, right. well, there we have it, Lisa. Uh, we we put together another uh, decent podcast, and you know, <laughs> I have confidence people are going to reach out and tell us all about the podcast and how it resonated for them. I have confidence in that. Yes, I have confidence too that that's going to happen. Absolutely. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.